Not a good way to start out a sermon. I just got the red ring of death on my microphone, so that's okay. Hopefully you'll be able to hear me. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You will climb up into that tree. You will climb up into that tree, the Navy SEAL instructor barked. That it's raining doesn't matter. That it's 40 degrees and the tree is dangerously slick doesn't matter. That you are wet, that you are cold, that you are covered in mud and beyond tired doesn't matter. That the lowest branch on the tree is 15 feet above the ground doesn't matter. All that matters is getting everyone up into that tree by working as a team. Even after that speech, things didn't go too well for the group. A man slips from the first branch and, yes, falls 15 feet flat on his back and expels all the air from his lungs. And the instructor helps the guy who had fallen up to his feet, but he's only capable of sort of hobbling around and, and going in ever-expanding concentric circles as he's doubled over in pain around the tree. Well, so much for the tree-climbing exercise, thinks Stephen Madden. Stephen Madden was a self-proclaimed desk jockey and suburban dad approaching his 50th birthday. I don't know that I'd call him a desk jockey. He worked for um, a bicycle magazine and was in pretty good shape. But he decided to pay $500 to participate in what's called the 20 times challenge. It's taught by, and the section that he participated in was taught by former Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine. And as I said, he thought it was over after the guy had fallen out of the tree. That's it. Exercise done. But the exercise was far from over. You will get in that tree. The instructor looked at the 10, still not in the tree, and said, you now have four minutes left. Madden started climbing. Why? Why put yourself through such a gauntlet as this? Why did he keep going? We had come here in the first place because he was having quite a bit of trouble at his new job. He was struggling. And he feared the very real possibility of getting fired and what that would mean for his family, what it would mean uh, for their life, their daily life. And he wanted something that was going to try to help him through the difficulties, the challenges, the hardships uh, that he was facing at his work. The reason he did it, he said, is he wanted, and in reality, he needed, he said, to become mentally tougher. He needed something to teach him, to prove to him that he was capable of 20 times more than what he thought. So he enrolled in this 14-hour class that would push him to physical, emotional, 
limits using the same crucible, yes, that the Navy uses to train its warriors. If I didn't love my family, I would have never done this. Now, the reason I told you that story is to tell you this. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author to the Hebrews reminds us that because God loved his family, indeed because he loves all people, he sent his son in the flesh to face the ultimate gauntlet. And it wasn't 14 hours worth. It was about 33 years he sent his son to give the ultimate sacrifice, not just for a select few, right? Mad, uh, Steve Matt's worried about his, his poor family. Not just for a select few, but for all people. And it was a God. Even from his birth, Jesus is a sign spoken against. Not even two years old and on the run for his life, for fear of care. He endures extreme discomfort, oppression, hatred, rejection, crucifixion, death, even damnation. All for his family, all for you. If God didn't love his family, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. It didn't matter that he would be hunted and hated. It didn't matter that he would suffer hunger, that he would suffer pain, that he would suffer exhaustion, that he would suffer humiliation, that he would practically be murdered by those in his own hometown when he comes to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand and the scriptures are fulfilled. It didn't matter that he had to endure mocking and insulting and shaming and bruising and beating and kneeling and railing. It didn't matter that he was tortured He was going to do it. All that mattered was you. Your salvation. Your restoration. Any lesson that we try to take from Stephen Madden ends here. Because Jesus, you see, didn't expect you to climb the tree with him. He didn't even help come to help you climb the tree. Why? Because he went to the tree of the cross, carrying no sins of his own, but to shoulder your burden. All of it. He's the only one who could do it. He's the only one who could destroy the power of sin, death, and the devil. He's the only one who could take the full blast of sin for you. Experience the full jaws of death for you. To experience separation from the Father for you. And overcome all those things. He's the only one. He's the one who went through the gauntlet. He's the one who never slipped and did not falter and waver and did not fail. He's the one who finished the race. 
and it was a tough race. We've talked about the suffering servant songs from Isaiah many times, but the suffering songs from Isaiah tells us that at the end of this thing, he was so marred and disfigured beyond recognition that it's hard to look at. And yet he carries for you and for me a perfect mark and gives that to you, that righteousness through God-given faith. That's right, God-given faith. Last week, Pastor Brian talked at length about God-given faith and how it was a miracle. It's a miracle that any of us believe at all considering our rebellion and our sinfulness. It's that word. Here's the thing. It may surprise you. But the Bible rejects, it does not teach that we do anything to cooperate in faith. That it is God and God alone, if you made that point, that creates, sustains, and keeps us in that faith. It is God's activity. That is His doing. lapse into disbelief, to unbelief. That is not a work of God. That is our work. A work of the fallen, sinful, broken Adam. A work of our sinful nature. Today's text from Hebrews does not picture your life of faith as something you do. Right? It's a race you're on. Not as something you do. But it uncovers the reality. The reality is this. That you can give up on God and His promise. You can give up on God and His promise when you do. You can stop believing. You can throw away your God-given faith. And it happens for a variety of reasons. And it's unique to every one of us. It's hard when things go wrong. It's hard when things go right. Who wants to keep believing and relying on a God when you become lonely? Who wants to go on believing and relying on a God when you are hurt? Who wants to go on believing and hanging on to a God when you are distracted? Who wants to have your faith nurtured and fed and grown and sustained by word and sacrament, by God's spirit, by God's gospel, by the Father's love, when both the problems and pleasures in your life always seem to demand your sinful attention? I'd rather be doing this. Who wants to keep worshiping and praying and communing? When we don't want to acknowledge that our sin, much of it very comfortable to us, brings wrath and separation, destruction, and is something that we can not ourselves repair or do anything. In the gospel reading for today, Jesus tells us to read the writing on the wall, see the things that are happening. Christ's arrival 
is the sign that we are living in the last days. I know it's been more than 2,000 years. But it is a sign, a beacon, a wake-up call that judgment is coming. And we are in need of rescue. And now the one who provides that rescue has come. And he has given us now already the victory. With that in mind, that is why the author to the Hebrews writes, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to our own strength, no to Jesus. Looking to our faith, yes, but who grants that? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or the founder and perfecter of our faith. Why did he do it? Who for the joy? Think about it. I'm going to suffer for unappreciative, rebellious sinners. the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is where now? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your faith, your running the race is wrapped up in one God-ordained, God-provided, and God-given blessing, and that is Jesus and receiving him. Through faith and through the means of grace, you are called from rebellion and destruction to repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Through faith, you look to Jesus. Through faith, you're focused on him. You don't take your eyes off him. Because when you do, that's when we get in trouble. It's when we get in trouble. You have received your faith from Jesus, the Holy Spirit from Jesus. You hear God's word from Jesus in the Old Testament. We hear that there's many false prophets who have entered the world and who proclaim to God's people, and they swallow it. Running the race means that we live persistently in faith. And faith means receiving all of God's word in his place, all of it. Especially that that is fulfilled in Christ. Running the race means that we live persistently in faith because God has been persistent in granting us faith and providing the means to keep us in that faith, namely His church. Word and sacraments, what Christ commands us to do. And that strength leads us to this conclusion, this assurance, this certainty. Jesus has finished the race perfectly for us. Jesus has already given us the victory. So don't give up on Jesus because he has not and did not give up on you. You can rely on him in each and every circumstance. He rules and reigns in power and glory over sin and death and the power of the devil. And all of God's promises find their fulfillment in Him. Don't give up on God because He hasn't given up on you. He did not 
give up on you. He sent his son for you. Look to him. Know that in him, salvation and victory is yours now. Through the means of grace, God works in you that assurance so that you won't grow weary. You won't grow faint-hearted. Receive it. Don't despise it. Receive it. I know. The simple Adam says, you know, it's, it's too good to be true. How can you know for sure? Well, aside from the fact that we have talked at length on many occasions about the various witnesses to the resurrection, uh, we also have a long history of God working in the course of human history for his people. The author of the Hebrews would have us look to those whom God was faithful, right? When he mentions by faith, he mentions all of these extraordinary circumstances that God works in the lives of his people. Let's highlight just a few. Just a few. There's a long list. Things look bleak when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. What? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. God made a promise that through Isaac, your offspring will be named. That can't happen if Isaac is dead. Can't happen. But Abraham trusted God's promise even in that dark hour. Even in the darkest moments, the author of the Hebrews said this, Abraham considered that God was able to even raise Isaac back from the dead, which figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive his son back. And we remember all along that God was not going to have Isaac killed, right? God provided a sacrifice in his place, a substitute. And not just for that, for all of Isaac's sins, for all of our sins, a substitute for all of us. He shares some commonality about his Or consider Moses. Right? Consider Moses. You're going to deliver my people from Egypt, right? You're going to be my ambassador, my messenger. <laughs> and think of all the things that Moses endured, and especially considering that uh, as they're leaving. There is between, uh, they're, they're caught in the middle between an approaching army, Pharaoh's army, and the Red Sea. Approaching army and the Red Sea. So much for God's promise, right? No, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, the author to the Hebrews says, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And the list goes on and on and on throughout human history of God working in people's lives in ways that are fantastical, unexpected, in ways that show that he does keep his promise, even when circumstances might seem to dictate otherwise. That's why. 
the author to the Hebrews writes this for you. Therefore, because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, examples of God's faithfulness, because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close. That's the problem. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. <coughs> Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary. I mean, peace which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. 